I, I warned the early service uh, that I might go off script today. Uh, I just, I, I feel like this sermon is still uh, on the drawing board and you never know what that's going to produce. I try to stay, when I do prepare a sermon, I try to stay very much on script and focused and but I feel like I'm chasing this sermon. So just to warn you, we might go some different directions other than what's here. So I know that'll especially be a problem for Pastor Charlie who likes what's on here. So bear with me, brother, a little grace today. Let's uh, begin by turning to the Lord and worshiping him. Father, our hearts are confident in you. No wonder we can sing your praises with all our hearts. Wake up, guitar and drum and keys. We will wake the dawn with our songs. We will thank you, Lord, among all the people. We will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. We worship you today. Glorious God who's made us and shaped us and molded us, who's blessed us and poured out favor. Nowhere more better seen than in Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. Caleb and Nadine. Caleb is a sculptor. Where's BJ at? Just like BJ. Not as good looking, but he's a sculptor. When he was in high school, he had some instructors that really encouraged him with his artistic talent and said, you know, you should pursue this more than just a, a, just a sideline or more than just a, a hobby. And so he did. Took art classes and uh, some specialty courses in college. And again, professors said, you know what? I think you might be able to make a career out of this. And so that became his goal. And he uh, now is getting his name out there more and more. Um, he sold a few pieces, not a lot. And if you know anything about art, you know it's a very difficult field to make any money in unless you're dead. Um, then you seem to have the dollars rolling in. So uh, his one exhibit, he, had, uh, he got, even got some favorable press out of. Someone had written, written up a piece and, uh, and described his talents as superior. But between his few sales and Nadine's full-time job at the pharmacy, they're kind of barely making ends meet. And Nadine is concerned that he will never make enough money to support their family uh, completely on his income, especially once the kids come along. They had a horrible fight last week. And in the course of that fight, Nadine called Caleb lazy and she suggested that he might not be all of that, all that talented. It was a difficult fight. Most fights are difficult, aren't they? What was interesting is when Caleb, uh, when uh, Nadine called Caleb lazy, he didn't hear lazy. When she suggested that his gifts weren't all that stellar, he didn't hear that. This is what he heard. I don't love you because you see his language of love is words of affirmation and encouraging words 
Not only did he not hear that from Nadine, he heard the exact opposite. And so he heard, I don't love you. Now I want you to pretend for a minute that you are God. And you look out over the universe that you have created and all these people that you have given life and breath to. And all these people that you have poured out blessing upon blessing into their lives. You've cared for them. You've protected them. You've guarded them from terrible things happening to them. You've watched over them. You've fed them. You've clothed them. Some of them you've made very wealthy. How would you want these people to show their love to you? What would you hope for from these people that you have made and blessed to show their love to you? Luke chapter 19 be our text this morning. We're going to start at verse 41. Now, this is getting to the end of Jesus' ministry. The cross is looming not far away. He looks back on three and a half years of ministry to his own people, primarily his Jewish Jewish people. And he had reminded people during his ministry that that was primarily whom he came to, the lost house of Israel. And yet they rejected him, rejected him, rejected him, rejected him. And it was not just the leaders. And so he's coming to the end of having run this race. Verse 41, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And if it stopped there, you might wonder, what was he weeping about? Was it that the grass wasn't mowed around the city? Was it that blocks were falling off of the walls that it was unkept? What made him weep? How I wish today that you of all people, you my people, my Jewish people, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how I wish that you would understand the way to peace. And he's not talking about the opposite of a military combat here. He's talking about Jewish idea of shalom, the wholeness and fullness. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. And let's just stop at the comma to acknowledge that 40 years after this, Titus, the Roman conqueror Titus, surrounded Israel, tore down the temple stone by stone. Not one stone will be left upon another. Burned with fire and rooted out the remaining elements of a Jewish revolt. If you know the story of Masada, Titus sent his forces in. They built a, they built a ramp up to this high, high, high fort that they had ensconced themselves in about a thousand people and they all of whom committed suicide right before Titus got there but what Jesus said happened verbatim 40 years later 
And why did it happen? Now, follow the column, uh, the comma, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Then Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. A number of weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah 45, 23, and we concluded what it, that God is after worshipers. God seeks worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. And he says in that, that text that he is, a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will declare allegiance to him. What's interesting, you hear that very same language in Philippians, I think it's chapter 2, to speak about Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess allegiance to Jesus. God is looking for worshipers. And this morning, what I want us to think about is how we express that worship. And I want to argue that prayer in Jesus' name is the language of worship. When that's present, worship may well be present. It might be fake, but it may well be present. But you note this, when it's missing... When prayer is missing, you can be sure that worship is missing as well. I want to talk, first of all, about a house that's misused and neglected. A house that was misused and neglected. You know, our homes are used for basic kinds of things. That's where we eat. That's where we reconnect with our family members. We gather around the table. Uh, that's where we just develop relations with our family. We might play games together. We talk together. We enjoy times together. That's where we sleep. But houses can be misused. Several months ago, a, a woman crept into an abandoned house in Houston, Texas to smoke some marijuana. And she got into the house, she found out it wasn't so uninhabited after all. In front of her was a, a large cage, and inside the cage was a tiger. Now, if that doesn't make you quit smoking weed, I don't know what will. House is being misused. And Jesus saw what was going on in his house, and he says, his father's house, and says, it's being misused. What was taking place was Passover was right ahead of them. And if you are a Jewish person and you live somewhere other than Jerusalem, you go to Jerusalem for Passover to celebrate that feast. So if you live in Syria or you live in Asia Minor, you live in Egypt, you come to Jerusalem. Now, there are a couple of things that you're going to do when you get to Jerusalem. One is that you're going to buy some animals for sacrifices because you can't take animals uh, 40, 60, 100 miles. They would die on the way. And it's especially important that you get the right kind of animal, especially the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, has to be just right. So where are you going to get these animals that you're sure are, are, are kosher? You can go to the temple. And also you're going to pay, if you haven't been to Jerusalem for a while, you, if you're a male, you need to pay the temple tax, which is a half a, a, half a drachma. That's not right, a half, half a shekel, wrong part of the world. Half a shekel. And so if you've come from Egypt, you don't have shekels. You need to change your money. It's just like you. If you go overseas, you go into another country, you have to, at the airport or somewhere, convert your dollars into whatever is the currency of that land. And that's what they would do. And so there were, there were currency exchangers and there were animal brokers who had set up business kiosks in the courtyard of the temple. 
The, the, the problem wasn't that these people were not needed, but they were in the wrong place. They were in God's temple, the dwelling place of God among his people. And it was not just the sights and the smells, but there was, you know, when, when, when there's something that happens, it, something that's taking place, there's always other things that can't take place. We'll elaborate more on that in a little bit. You have these currency changers and the livestock brokers, and it wasn't that they were doing a bad job, but they were doing an evil job in this. Jesus says, you have made, my made this house a what? Den of thieves. Somebody's getting taken advantage of. That's what was happening. The people that would sell the animals were selling it for a higher price than they should have. The people who were changing the money, you know that if you get money exchanged, this, this uh, currency exchange place might, might tack on this percentage to, to do it. This currency exchange place might tack on a much higher one or much lower one. You want to shop for the best value. The guys were making a lot of money on currency exchange and a lot of money on selling animals. I remember the first time it occurred to me, I'm reading this story, I'm thinking, where are the people in charge of the temple? Why, why aren't they making sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen? That was the problem. They were involved. Josephus described the high priest as the procurer of money. It was the high priest that was getting the lease fees for the kiosks that were in the courtyards there. It was the high priest that was getting a cut of every sale that made, was made of every animal in the courtyard. What was being neglected in the process was prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What was being misused was the profit that was being made by the currency changers and livestock brokers. What was being neglected was prayer. And what Jesus said here was a quote from Isaiah 56, 7, where God says, my house shall be a house of prayer. But what Luke doesn't record that Mark does about this account was that the, the fuller quote of that verse, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Do you happen to know where these people were set up? You know, it looked, if you came to the temple in these days, it looked like the New Holland Fair. They're selling funnel cakes and all kinds of things. It just looks like a, 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 it looks like a fair, a county fair. And the people who would come to this temple would see the kiosks set up in the court of the Gentiles. A place that had been specifically designed and laid out for people who had become followers of the one true God who were not Jews. They were Gentiles. Do you see what they were in effect doing to the Gentiles? Stay away. Don't come here. Because the Gentiles had no other place to go. They weren't allowed to come further, closer to the Holy of Holies than just the court of the Gentiles. 
A number of weeks ago, we looked at Solomon's prayer when he completed the building of this temple and he was crying out for his people with this prayer dedication. He said, oh Lord, you know, when we sin against you and we come to this house and we pray, uh, pray to your name, we pray that you would forgive our sins. And if we're losing in battle, help us to begin winning in battle. And if we're having famine in the land, help us uh, the rains to come and, and restore our fortunes as we pray to you. And then in verse 41, it goes, oh Lord, and if a foreigner comes, someone who's not a Jew, and prays to your name at this temple, give him what he asks for. There was an idea, an understanding, even a vision that Solomon had. One day, people who were not children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bloodlines, would still worship here. This is not happening because the court of the Gentiles has sheep and goats and bulls and turtle doves and money changers. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. I've come to think, I've read this passage so many times, I've come to think that Jesus was more interested in prayer than he was in the animals, that he was concerned about what was missing more than what was present. This was to be a house of prayer and that was, that was important because it, was the, it, was, it is prayer that is worship's language. Uh, today, when we, come, when we come to worship, there's no marble temple. We don't see a fantastic, glorious building that is lined with cedar and, and everything's covered with gold so much. All the furniture's covered with gold and there's even floor has some gold on it. There's silver here and the, purple cloth it was just beautiful we don't come to something like that when you come into this building it's a nice building don't get me wrong but when you come into this building you don't you're not stopped in your tracks and go wow now that's awesome and it shouldn't be that way if we get preoccupied with the building and the veneers and the colors and all that we've lost sight of the shift in the temple because what was the temple for? Was it so that people could gather and have, kind of have a church service like this? Mm -mm. It was for the dwelling place of God among his people. That's what the tabernacle was made for, and that's what the temple was made for. That God would, he would literally come when, when they completed the tabernacle, and it was all done and ready for God. Now the holy of holies, or the most holy place, whichever you want to call it, this place back here that was just for God, where the ark was, people had to get out because this cloud descended into this room depicting the presence of God and that's what the temple was there for the presence of God among his people that's why the curtain in front of the holy of holies was torn when Jesus died on the cross because now there's no separation of God from his people he's now accessible through the blood of Jesus Christ so we don't need a temple anymore because now where is God he's not back in some room here you know you could pull back the curtain there and there's God's not back there there's a lot of sound equipment back there but God's not back down back there you can go down to the third and fourth grade boys Sunday school classroom and you won't find God down there there's a bunch of rowdy boys but God's not down there where's God 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. 
For your what is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body. We don't need to go up to a magnificent building to find God. We just, he's here. He's in you. I mean, you look at the chairs here, and you go back to the fifth row here in the center aisle. You can't see God, but God's there. He's in Brian, Tammy. You, you go back to the fifth aisle on this side, and you can't see God, but God's there. He's in Craig and Amy. God is in the body of his Follower, those who follow Jesus, we're the dwelling place of God. We don't have this magnificent temple. Well, some of you have magnificent temple, but most of us have to put up with what we've got. And God desires worship at this temple just like he desired worship at the other temple. Do you know there are 650 prayers in the Bible 650 prayers in the Bible and one of the things that is common among the people that are notable in the Bible the people who stop us in our tracks is that they were all people of prayer they were all marked by prayer they were all drawn to pray seek the Lord's face Colossians 4.2 says that we're to devote ourselves to prayer 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.17 says that we should pray continually or pray without ceasing. Don't distort that. Don't make that something it's not. Yes, you can still stop to eat. Yes, you can go bowling Monday night. Yes, you can go to work. It doesn't, but it's this idea that God is within us and we are in connection with him all the time and our lives can be marked by worship all of the time and sometimes that expression is prayer. Prayer, 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 prayer. And one of the things that I've come to be convinced of in part by my own experience is that prayer tends to lapse when worship does. In other words, worshipers pray. People who are not worshipers might pray as a religious exercise. They don't really worship. Prayer lapses when worship lapses. Now let's go back to Jesus and kind of wrap up of his earthly ministry and look back. And if you remember, if you, if you would take a, a snapshots or a, maybe a video would be a better uh, word picture. A video of Jesus' ministry from the beginning to the end when he was arrested and tortured and killed. You would see at the beginning of his ministry a lot of excitement and a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, this guy is the latest. I mean, he's the latest craze. People couldn't get enough of him. Hey, did you hear, did you hear what Jesus did last week? I mean, come on. He, 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 he healed some, somebody that couldn't see, now can see. Did you hear what Jesus did last week? He had, we were about 10,000 of us out in the desert. We were out of food and we were just loving his teaching and, and, and we didn't know what we were going to eat and he, he just made food. Did you hear what Jesus did last week? You know that guy that was in chains over there across, across the Sea of Galilee? He, you know, kind of a crazy guy that everybody was scared of. Did, did you hear what Jesus did with that guy? I mean, he's, he's in his right mind now. We, we saw him sitting down. You can talk to him. Did you? 
And over the life, though, of Jesus' ministry, those years of Jesus' ministry, those people who were excited about him became fewer and fewer and fewer. The more he taught, the more frightened they became. This guy's got something loose upstairs. He's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. I mean, what's that all about? He's talking about a kind of a radical sort of lifestyle that, that everything we do, we do for God. I mean, let's not go crazy. And as his ministry got closer and closer to the cross, the followers became fewer and fewer and fewer. And when he came into Jerusalem, that message that Pastor Charlie preached uh, uh, last month, he's coming into Jerusalem and his followers are throwing palm branches down at his feet and, and, and shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And not only the, not only the Jewish leaders, but some of the Jewish people are saying, tell, him to, tell these people to be quiet. They're, they're, they're going to extremes. And Jesus says, look, if, they, if people don't worship me, even the rocks and the stones are going to cry out and worship to me. And here's what was going on. Jesus was getting less and less acclaim and less and less interest in the part of the public because they were never interested in his father either. Look at John chapter 8, verse 19. John chapter 8, verse 19. I'll skip the first sentence. Jesus answered, Since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. This is the reason that Jesus sat on the brow overlooking Jerusalem that day and wept over Jerusalem. It's because he had come on a a journey. He had come as an ambassador for his father in the hopes that what, his, what had not been happening with regards to his father might happen with him. Maybe, God says, maybe if I come among them, maybe the worship that I am not receiving when I'm at distance, maybe that will come to my son. And it had not. It had not. And Jesus says, the, problem, the reason that you have rejected me is because you rejected my father. And that's being portrayed out, being played out now because you've rejected me. And it shows, it reveals the reality of your heart and its disinterest in my father. And that was being evidenced in this case by the lack of prayer. Why was it anybody protesting in the streets about what was taking place at the temple? Why, why wasn't a coalition of really serious um, worshipers contacting the high priest and saying, we want our temple back? Why weren't people who were impassioned about their non-Jewish uh, neighbors saying to somebody at the temple, we're, we're making it hard for the people outside of us to come to God? You see, the problem is endemic in the people that Jesus had come to. And it was evidenced by a lack of prayer, which is the language of worship. 
Worship is not, worship is not primarily singing. We use that as a synonym. We use worship as a synonym for singing. But you can sing all day beautifully and never worship. Worship is not a synonym for studying our Bibles. You, you, you can read the Bible. You can memorize the Bible and never worship. Worship is the acclaim of the heart for the glory of God. I am so overwhelmed with who you are, by who you are and by what you have done, that, that you are due my worship. You are due my praise. You are due my thanksgiving. You're worthy of it. It doesn't mean I always worship as I ought, but, but, but I, I'm, I'm here to, whether it's speak something out loud to you or say something quietly in my spirit to you or to sing praise to you out loud, I, I'm here to worship you. At the temple in Jesus' day, worship had been traded for wealth. Do you ever think about the fact that when you make a choice, when I make a choice, there are other choices that get traded away? So, for example, when I made a choice to marry this young lady several years ago, that choice traded all other choices of women away. I traded every other woman away. When you're given a job offer and you say yes to that job offer, you are trading away, at least for that season, all other job offers. Every choice I make, every choice you make, trades away a multitude of other choices. I've been watching the uh, NBA semi-conference uh, uh, finals the last couple of weeks, and man, that's, that's taxing. There's a game on about every night. And when I choose to watch a game between the, uh, the Warriors and the Rockets or the Warriors and the Blazers, I make a choice, I trade away the the glorious opportunity to walk two miles and get my exercise or a thousand other good things I just traded away and the same is true when it comes to worship in that when we choose to worship we trade some other things away and when we choose some other things we trade away choice to worship. Down at the temple, worship was being traded for wealth. I'd rather make money than either worship myself or let other people worship as well. Now, my guess is that all of us know someone who once professed to know Christ and said they were worshipers, but something came along that they wanted to worship more, and they traded away their worship of the Lord. It may have been that God blessed them financially and they were making more and more money and, and it became, a, a, it became a, you know, a, a toxin to them and, they, and so they have to spend more time and more energy on it. And they still go to church, but money is what they're all about. Or it may be someone, someone came into their lives and they wanted that someone more than they wanted worship. Maybe it was an adulterous affair. I can't live without this person. They're my soulmate. And so they've taken up with that person. And now, and it's really, we could use the language of idolatry here too. I, I, I'm, 
I'm worshiping something else or worshiping someone else instead of the Lord. Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a relationship, uh, another inappropriate relationship. I, I, I desire some, I, I wouldn't desire someone of the same sex. And so while I say I'm worshiping the Lord, when I worship that which he uh, disapproves of, I'm not worshiping the Lord. All of us know somebody who has traded away worship of the Lord for something else. And what I want to do right now is just take a minute or two and just give you time to privately pray for that person. Would you do that? Father, we know you desire worshipers. And our prayer is that for a friend or a relative or a colleague or classmate, somebody that we know that has drifted away from worship, we, we pray that you would touch them this morning. We pray that you would whisper in their ear or shout if you must to draw them back to be worshipers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want you to think about your own prayer life. If prayer is the language of worship, what does your praying tell you about your worship? If prayer is the language of worship, what does your praying tell you about your worship? And I, uh, let me give you a couple of uh, warnings. Don't determine that by the number of minutes you pray a day. Don't determine that by whether or not you're able to stay awake the whole time you pray. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while you pray? Come on, let's, come on. Relieve everybody else around you. Nice and high, come on. We've all done that. Amen. And when, listen, and when that happens, God doesn't go, I'm gonna kick that sucker. He's like, "Mm, they need a good night's sleep. Don't measure it by that. Don't measure it by whether or not you even want to pray since prayer is really, really hard work. Here's what you should measure it by. Are you drawn to God? Do you feel drawn to God? Do you pray, in other words, because you want to meet with him? Do you pray because you want to meet with him? My guess is there's a significant number of us that pray because we feel that's what we're supposed to do. Not because we want to meet with him. If you're married, can you imagine that the only time you get together with your spouse is is because you know it's something you should do. You really don't want to do it, but okay, I'll 
meet with my wife? Are you drawn to him? Do you, do you long to meet with God? Worshippers don't just want to be heard when they pray. They want to be met. Worshippers are not just praying through their prayer lists, but they're praying through to God. These are on one of the sermon outlines. If uh, I'm going to go through them too fast for you to write them down. Not just praying through their lists, but praying through to God. Worshippers are not just interested in getting what they pray for, but in meeting who they pray to. And worshipers tire of praying in the flesh. They want to pray in the spirit. We'll touch more on that this summer when we do a series on the Holy Spirit. Worshipers don't demand of God, but they invite God to demand of them. I want to read you uh, just a portion of a story about a guy by the name of Bill. He was a missionary in Spain. This is from uh, Daniel Henderson's book, Transforming Prayer. A lifelong friend of his was killed. And it hit him so hard, he, he couldn't get over it. To the point that he, while he stayed on the field in Spain for, uh, for all these years, for four years, he didn't pray once. You imagine that. You're trying to do ministry to other people, for other people, in the name of the Lord, and you haven't connected with God through prayer for four years. This is what he says. At the core of my prayerlessness was a mix of pride and lies. Pride caused me to refuse to ask God for his help until I had exhausted all of my own capacities. I studied. I ministered. I pursued life change by the sweat of my brow. The lies I believed about God were based on my personal experience rather than believing the truth about God as revealed in Scripture. And if you don't read the Bible, that's going to be instinctive. We make up a, we'll make up a God in our own image. The lies I believed about God were based on my personal experience rather than believing the truth about God as revealed in Scripture. I saw him as vindictive, not a loving father. But God used worship-based prayer as a catalyst to bring me back to himself. Now, I've talked about this before. Daniel Henderson contrasts what many of us do, calling it request-based praying, with worship-based praying. Request-based praying meaning I primarily pray to ask God for things. Worship-based praying is, no, I, I primarily, or, or at least at uh, the beginning of my praying, it's about God. I want, I want to meet God. I want to worship him. I want to talk to him about him and delight in him. Worship-based prayer did more than teach me to pray. It revealed who God is. As I spent time seeing God and learning what it meant to seek his face, and of course that comes through scripture, I experienced his powerful presence and was transformed. While in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit reveals to a heart in five seconds that which can never be accomplished through years of human effort. Strangely, I began to enjoy prayer. As God changed my view of prayer, he also changed my view of himself. The more I learned about God's true character, the more I wanted to pray. 
The more I learned about God's true character, the more I wanted to pray. I don't know what your prayer life is like, like, but I know this. Prayer manifests the heart of worship, and the absence of prayer manifests the loss of worship. I want to read a verse out of Psalm 27 to close. Verse 8. This is a verse that in my everyday Bible, I have a big highlighted box around it. Love this. The psalmist is speaking to God. This is what he says. My heart has heard you, God. I've heard you say, come and talk with me. Did it ever occur to you that God longs to meet with you far more than you long to meet with him? craves it not because we're so wonderful but because he loves us I'm not very wonderful but my wife loves me she longs to be with me God loves us and longs to be with us and so David hears my heart has heard you say come and talk with me and my heart responds Lord I'm coming. I'm coming. Just give me a minute. I'll be there in a minute. Are you, brother and sister, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, so captivated by that, if nothing else, that you are drawn to worship the God who loves you? Is your temple, you, a house of prayer. Father, we love you. Shape and file and rasp and cut and rout and machine our hearts to be more and more enthralled with you that worship might become our natural a prayer might become our natural language worship that we can't get enough of you that you satisfy us that all the other blessings that you pour out in our lives are footnotes to the satisfaction of you yourself That loss, whether it's financial or health or loved one, that loss would not be as devastating as it once was because you're still here. That you still have us and we still have you. That things that draw us, the lure of this world, loses its punch and power in light of who we already have. That we become more skilled at seeing what you have done in our lives than complain about what you haven't done in our lives. That the next world becomes a more glorious, gloriously anticipated place than the baubles and the things that twinkle in this world. 
and that the glory of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for trash like us would fill our hearts with thanksgiving and praise to your name that somehow in a way that we could have never imagined you married your justice and your righteousness and your holiness and even your wrath to your mercy and your grace and your love and offered to deliver the likes of us by the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.